When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's something beautiful about raw nature. It existed before you did, and it'll exist after you're gone. It's wide, open space with all the vastness of galactic clusters and long dead stars that still shine, and its tangled closeness, rife with practically expansive life of every sort that grows into and upon itself with ravenous earnest. As I descended from the crest of a rough high hill clear of trees where one half of that spirit was evident, and then pushed my way through the brush and tangle below where the other half ruled, I wondered at the ability of nature to still exist here. With all the cities, humanity is carved into the earth, with all the billions of us walking and driving and flying about, how could whole mountain ranges still sit out here largely untouched? Ongoing patter dripped slowly around me. Not rain, but a long-awaited melting above, below, and all around. Endemic white trails still clung to every bowl and shadow, awaiting higher angles from the sun. I felt at one with that anticipation. The month I'd just endured out in the wilderness had been spent trudging through snow, fighting biting breezy chills and the surging heat of exertion, and generally filling myself with calm acceptance to avoid shivering. The sun would be a very welcome sight and sensation, once it emerged from behind the gray clouds, and once I emerged from the oppressive maze of the Appalachian Evergreens. Even as I worked my way down steep inclines, I began counting more deciduous oaks and less coniferous trees. It wouldn't be long. Northwest ever northwest, somewhere ahead, flat land, and then a river, and then more walking, and then people. The very thoughts of returning to society suddenly reminded me that I had an appearance. I felt my rough face. I had a beard. A month wasn't so long that I should have looked like a bedraggled nightmare, but I could feel the gears of antrified social mechanisms turning slowly to action in my head. How should I behave? What should I say if I see someone? How do I explain where I've been for a month to people in my life? I could never show them the hard-won contents of my pack. I possibly couldn't even hint at what I'd been doing either. Who would believe that a suburban author from Ohio can simply head out into the wilderness one day without any skills and survive four entire weeks alone? Each day had been a terrible endeavor, and I'd never chosen to take such a journey, but I hadn't really had a choice. On the other hand, I didn't really regret it. I felt more in tune with my body and existence than ever before. The air was warming and full of energy, and... I was alive. It took the better part of the day to reach a road. 
By then, the sky was a blazing sea of drifting orange, and I was vitally tired. I sat on the curb for a time, and no cars passed. But that was not unusual for some backwoods road in northwestern West Virginia, or wherever I was. The oncoming night brought a returning chill that refroze the wet ground. I resented the cold, but it did make the walking easier. Rather than slog through muck, I moved quickly across frozen earth, following the road. All I needed to do was find a building, any building, really, charge my phone. After that, a single power button press would hook me back up into civilization. Gloom set in, replacing fiery orange with fuzzy blue, which itself faded ever so slowly into impenetrable black. Still, I walked. I dwelled on my excuses. It had been a camping trip. People went camping sometimes, right? They didn't need to know the details or the gear I had or hadn't brought, and no, I hadn't had Wi-Fi out there to answer my emails. The ground changed underneath my shoes, and the wind began slicing perpendicular to me. I'd come to a larger road. No lights shined in either direction, and no cars passed as I decided which direction I should take. After a half hour of stumbling progress, I realized that I was stuck for the night. The absolute lack of passing cars hadn't escaped me, but it was too early to begin wildly speculating just yet. After four weeks in rugged forest, the road's edge felt like a luxurious hotel. I sat a few feet into the brush, hopefully close enough to be welcomed by a passing car, and far enough in to be avoid being seen. The cloudy sky hid the stars and kept me blind, but the darkness didn't bother me. There were terrible things out in the night sometimes, sure, but the open sky and night forest felt empty, calm. This was not one of those places where horrible fates lurked. This was simply nowhere important. I awoke to a burgeoning gray light, and I knew somehow that no cars had passed in the night. The mind never truly relaxes when one is alone and exposed. A half-present sleeping awareness remains, and had remained for me. I was less rested than I might have been otherwise, but I felt safer for the subtle drain behind my eyes. It was also time to start speculating. Walking along the road in a drifting ocean of swirling dawn light, I began keeping a more active eye out for cars. Like the tide pulling in and out, each passing hour brought a slight sharpening to the heavy hole underneath my heart. Something was wrong, and not in the usual way. Having left society's net so abruptly and for so long, had I simply lost the connection entirely? Had everyone else always just been a dream? I shook my head and soldiered on. Warm hope welled up around my heart as I sighted at long last a gas station. I sat at a gravelly corner in the country road, quietly soaking up near noon spring rays. Worries dispelled, I marched right up to the decrepit once white building, readying social phrases. The door opened easily and a bell chirruped above me as I swept in. There's something about an unused building that immediately strikes one as deathlike and wrong. 
that something surrounded me instantly. Outside it was nearly noon and brightening, and here it was dingy, quiet. The lights were off, if such a lonely gas station even had any, and there was nobody at the register. The shelves sat undisturbed. They were stock and free of dust from what I could tell. No sign of where the clerk might have gone. Was the station closed today and someone had forgotten to lock it? Or had the clerk gone out for a smoke? A subtle staleness in the air hinted that the abandonment had been longer than a few simple minutes. Others might have called out. Others might have shouted. I remained quiet, instead moving through the dim store with wary eyes. I found no threats, no sign of struggle. I found an outlet and got my phone out of my backpack, taking care to avoid the carefully packaged contents at the bottom. Taking the cord out, I put one end in the outlet. Here was the true test of the dread eroding the hope beneath my heart. If the electricity worked, then that meant... My phone lit up. The electricity was working. I shook my head and laughed quietly to myself. I'd been out in the woods too long. Of course the world was still here. Civilization had carried on for 10,000 years without me. It certainly wouldn't disappear during the scant month that I'd opted out. I frowned. No signal. Of course. It would have been too easy to simply have my phone work, right? No, we're going to put me through the gauntlet here. A curious screeching noise echoed outside like a car engine straining against waking cold and I leapt up. Nope. I paused and grabbed my phone and charger. Not a chance in hell I was leaving my lifeline unattended in this abandoned station. A moment later I burst out into the noon sunlight. But if a car had been passing, it was long gone. I ran across gravel until I reached the edge of the road and looked in both directions. Nothing. Memories of myself as a child resurfaced, unbidden. I stood and waited for the school bus on a gravelly curb just like this one many years ago. Life had been much different then. Simpler in a way. Less technologically bound, for sure. I suddenly felt like an idiot. Outside my narrow daily life experiences, landline phones still existed. Sighing, I headed back into the station and found a phone by the register. It had a dial tone, though I wasn't sure what I'd expected. Weren't landline phones reliable? Wouldn't they work even if the power grid went down? I wasn't sure. Why did I know so little about such a long-standing technology? I frowned and tried to recall phone numbers for anyone I knew. I didn't know phone numbers either. There simply hadn't been a need to remember. I did know my own, though. Just to make sure, I dialed it. Without a signal on my end, my cell phone didn't ring, but I did get my voicemail. So the phone still worked. I called a number I thought might have been a friend of mine's, but got no answer, and the voicemail had no personalized message. Couldn't be sure it was the right line. 
Okay, what else? The operator. Was that still a thing? How do I dial an operator? I reached for my cell phone to look it up, then groaned. Had to be something simple, like... Right? I hit zero. The phone began ringing. I waited, expectant, until that space underneath my heart began sinking again. I gave it twenty rings, and then hung up. There was no operator. Time to get serious, I realized. My thoughts began pulling at information as I started doing what I did best. Thinking. There was no car parked outside the gas station. I should have known immediately that there'd be nobody inside. The lack of an operator could just mean that this station didn't have proper landline support. I didn't know enough about how landlines worked to be certain. The shells were stocked. I went through them, checking expiration dates. The food was older than it would have been in a functional store. Some expiration dates had passed, others had not. I looked up, but saw no security cameras. Taking as many bottles of water as I could and some peanut butter, I left a 20 at the empty register. Okay, time to hit the road again. I needed more data. Back in the noon light and warming breezes, I began walking and thinking. How many times had I watched this situation in a television show? How many times has I read stories about it? This was a classic case of confusing information and possibly missing people. What had those situations turned out to be? I came to a crossroads and stopped. The crossing road seemed wider and more traveled on than the one I'd been walking down. More often than not, and likely this was the best of bad options, something was wrong with me, not the world. Everyone was still out there, and I was simply having perceptual issues, delusions, or worse. If that was the case, then I jumped back from the crossroads. If I wasn't in my right mind, then cars could be passing all the time. There could be cars rolling by even now, and... I just wasn't aware of them for some reason. If I couldn't trust my perceptions, I couldn't cross the street. If something was wrong with me, I'd step out onto the road thinking I was the only man out there and I'd get blindsided by a speeding car. My pulse began racing as the gears of my logic started to grind. I stared up and down the long country highway. If my perceptions were flawed, was I supposed to see to cue myself in? The mind believes what the brain perceives. If I thought I was looking at an empty road, then no amount of staring or concentration would compromise that evaluation. Hell, there could be people stopped right now asking a crazy guy standing at the side of the road if he was alright. All I heard was the wind, now colored with an imagined desolate sigh. I couldn't cross the street, any street, and what if there had been a clerk back at that gas station who had been back out for a smoke and I'd just been oblivious? 
My head did hurt a little bit. I chalked it up to the poor diet and travel fatigue. What had I been doing out in the woods this last month? I knew what I thought I'd been doing, but objectively the idea did sound ridiculous. I only trusted it because I trusted myself and the experiences I had. If I couldn't trust those, how do I even know it was me? I guess some things you have to take for granted. Bending down, I grabbed a dirty white shirt out of my backpack. I had a marker, too, in a side pocket. I hadn't brought it on purpose, but there it had been the entire last month. And now, I had a use for it. I quickly wrote out some words on my impromptu shirt-based sign, and I held it up. I'm blind. Crossing the street, 30 seconds. Help. Staring out at the crossroads, I held the shirt up at each stop sign, in turn, my eyes wide. I saw nothing. No cars, no drivers. I heard nothing. No engines, no confused shouts, but how could I know for sure? I couldn't stay here forever. I had to keep going. 28, 29, 30. Holding up the shirt like a desperate flag of surrender, I edged out onto the pavement, body steeled against the invisible impact at any moment. Unable to even breathe, I inched across the country road, heart rate spiking as I crossed each faded painted line. Heady and feeling on the verge of passing out, I leapt the last two feet and tumbled to the gravel on the other side. Was anyone watching me? Had I looked insane? Ridiculous? Were they going to try and help me? I waited, but felt no unseen hands on my arms and heard no distant concerned questions. I had to believe that I was alone. Standing slowly, I tucked the shirt sign into my pocket and started walking again, not at all comforted. As the afternoon wore on, I debated my personal facts in an endless and painful cycle. Objectively, I had all the behaviors of a mentally ill homeless man. How did I know that wasn't true? No. I liked who I was. But it wasn't that one way people stay trapped in mental illness. Their assumed beliefs were preferable to reality. That internal discussion fell away as I found myself walking up an on-ramp to Route 79. I actually knew where this highway was. It ran parallel to the mountains at some distance. I'd actually driven on it to get close to where I needed to go. If I could find a mile marker, I'd know where my car was. And... This highway, too, was empty. I almost couldn't handle the feeling of walking down a major highway without seeing a single car. I was darkly confident I would never forget those first few hours. Each passing moment lent weight to the insane idea that I was somehow the last man left alive. It was then that I began delving into darker thoughts. If I was the last man alive, where were the bodies? 
It was easy to think the rest of the world had died, but that would have necessitated disease, rot, devastation on a scale that was unavoidable by someone on foot like myself. I had to know something first. I took a deep breath, closed my eyes, and stepped out onto the highway. I counted to thirty, my heart beating three times for each second. This was probably the end, I knew. Except, I remained. Only wide breezes slammed into me. Only warm sunshine shot across me. Jesus Christ. It wasn't me. It was the world. Or at least this region of it. And still, the surrounding terrain felt calm and empty, free of threat. If the human race had died or disappeared, what had caused it? I should have felt something, but there was no lurking evil presence, no great air of sorrow, no dark misery on the wind. As I began the long walk toward where I left my car, I had time to consider new worrying questions. Science fiction and horror had often been obsessed with the end of the world for many decades. I'd read about this a hundred times, so what would I do now? More often than not, the manner of the end was less important than what the survivors did afterwards. It was entirely possible I would never know what happened. Perhaps everyone had simply vanished. Had it been the internet somehow? Had everyone with a cell phone or near computer been pulled into another dimension? Had a terrible creature come through our televisions and monitors? <laughs> I laughed. Something about the idea just seemed too ridiculous to be scary. I'd been scared of the static-filled television in Poltergeist when I was a kid, but I couldn't remember the last time I'd actually seen such static. That movie was over... <laughs> 30 years old now. It was strangely peaceful out. Knowing where I was and where my car sat ready helped me remain calm. There was every chance something had gone wrong in West Virginia, and I'd get in my car and drive back to Columbus and find the whole world churning along as usual. I'd start seeing cars, although they were all parked, past a few farmsteads, some of which I checked out. All were empty of people, and none showed signs of struggle. I did note that many houses lacked cars, as if their owners had all driven somewhere. By the time the sun hit the horizon, just as I turned down the last vaguely familiar turn and approached the hidden pocket where I left my car, I was more curious than fearful. These people had to have gone somewhere in an orderly fashion. They hadn't simply died or disappeared. Right? Then there sat my beautiful old Hyundai. I'd never cared so much about appearance until that moment when it seemed at once the most decrepit and most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Dark red and rusted a bit about the wheel wells, it waited faithfully for my return. I unlocked it and climbed inside with an exhausted sigh of relief. This was civilization, signal or not. 
This was human ingenuity made subservient. This was a machine, and the machine was mine. That gave me power over my situation once more. The car roared to life with a guttural shout that matched my own. The silence and calm of nature ruptured instantly, replaced by the machine rumble of human design. I checked my phone. Still, no signal. No matter. I knew vaguely where I was going. Headlights bright to slice the way the glowing gloom I pulled onto the pavement. Just as I did, I looked back in the rearview mirror and almost hit a tree. For a heart-stopping split second, I thought I'd seen someone in the woods behind me. Swerving to return to the road, I spared a glance toward my side-view mirror, but I saw nothing. I certainly wasn't going to stick around to find out. The terror of that moment faded as the drive deepened into a familiar journey. I did have the oddest sense now that someone or something was following me in the pitch blackness behind me on the highway, but I had to shake it off after three headlights-off attempts to perceive anything back there. Driving without light wasn't smart, and I had to carry on. Alright, alright. I had to distract myself. Stick to major highways first, no back roads. Up 77, then west on 70. That was the plan. Alright, I distract myself. Who was I? It was me. I was driving, I was heading home. I hadn't seen a single other person in days. Or a month, really. Had there been an emergency? I turned on the radio. It had to be done, but at an emotional level, I immediately understood that I'd made a mistake. The sounds on the air were spacious, breezy, and subtly twisted. It sounded like I was listening to a deep cavern, the depths of which hosted something terrible and unknown. A void. Nothing save for the occasional static. The dark oral caress hammered home the reality that something was very wrong. I flipped the channel. I flipped it again. I flipped it twice more. Loud rock music blared through the car and I clutched the wheel in momentary terror. For a brief moment, my spirit soared, spurred on by that touch of normalcy. Until the song ended and another began, with no voiceover in between. I listened for half an hour. And nobody ever spoke. It was automated. Somebody had left their station running on autopilot. I clicked off the radio and glanced behind my car again. Nothing presented itself from the absolute darkness behind, but I still felt invisibly pursued. All right, I told myself, heart thundering in my chest. I'd been out in the woods and something had happened and I somehow had been spared. Which meant that there had to have been others. I hadn't been the only person on earth in the woods in the last month. Somebody had to have survived. And who are you? 
I knew I was going to write it all down to make sense of it, as I always did. The written word is the best weapon against unclear realities. Who are you, then? Who would read this? I saw you, a vague possibility of someone reading this. Online, perhaps, at a computer, probably. I could feel some numbers of readers hovering in the fog of the future in the same way that I usually felt the beating hearts of those around me when we stumbled into living nightmares. That, more than anything, let me know something out there still existed. If the electricity was still working out in the boonies, was the internet still functional? I had to contact Heath. He could help. How long would the power grid remain operational without oversight? Not long, I knew. In that case, I did happen to know where a power plant was. I'd driven by the facility a few times over the years. If the power grid was still operational, that meant someone had to have been maintaining it. If there were people left, that was where at least some of them would be. I drove long into the night, reaching the outskirts of my home city only as dawn began cycling up around the earth yet again. I was tired, but mightily fueled by adrenaline. I couldn't see the city's buildings this far out, but I was confident that I would find people this way more effectively than wandering around an abandoned downtown quadrant. I pulled off the road some distance down and walked the rest of the way. Fences surrounded the vast complex, and I circled until I found the entrance. There didn't seem to be any security. Then again, why bother locking things if there's nobody around? The complex didn't have any windows, so I couldn't tell if there were any lights on inside, but I began to hear the deep rumble of machinery. I was wary, but desperate to see another human being. I pushed open a side door harsh light streamed out, forcing me to blink, and I stood there as a dozen men and women in hard hats froze and stared at me. It suddenly occurred to me that my personal mental illness theory might have some weight. What did these people see? A disgustingly disheveled wilderness man busting onto a power plant floor? They stood at various places around the vast space, each of their specific stations are frozen in place on the way somewhere. A few had clipboards in hand. It was 2015, why were we still using clipboards? Come on! Several awkward moments passed, but none of them said a thing. I stepped closer and they watched me warily. Hello... I asked, my unused voice cracking. Hello? One man in slightly nicer clothes said, stepping forward. He waved to his subordinates, and they all went back to work without a word. Can I help you, sir? I studied his stony but kind features. This was a normal middle manager type, like I'd seen in any number of offices. Uh, I coughed twice. Should I really ask questions that now sounded insane? I've been, uh, camping for a month and I couldn't help but notice there are a great many people missing. The traces of kindness in the older man's cheek vanished. I 
and narrowed my eyes cautiously. Did I miss something important? He stared at me, his shoulders subtly tensing. You should go. I took a step back. I didn't mean anything by it, I just... He lowered his voice to a whisper, to the point that his subordinates wouldn't overhear his words. You should go. Now. And if you run into people out there, don't ask stupid questions. Not one to take such seriously intended advice lightly, I nodded and slowly backed out, keeping my eyes on him the entire time. He made no move to stop me or follow me. Once outside, I bolted through the rising dawn light. My sensation of being followed was sharper than ever, and I leapt into my car as fast as I could. Speeding off, I headed for the only other place I knew to go. Home. On the way there, I rose above downtown on a soaring highway, and I was forced to take it all in. The sky rises glittered in the morning sunlight, but that glitter was dark, and the city was silent. The lights still worked, and my cell phone began getting signaled, but Columbus, Ohio was empty. The city was empty, but there were still skeleton crews running the infrastructure, and they'd been terrified and confused to see me. It didn't make sense. I'm sitting in an empty Starbucks now, using the free Wi-Fi. I worked in the store in my college years, and it's intensely eerie to sit alone in it during what's normally the afternoon rush. If this is an apocalypse, it's the strangest one I've ever heard of. No death, no destruction. Some people are left that refuse to answer questions. Readers whose existence I can't pin down or understand. Where are you? And something following me. Out in the quiet streets, I feel it waiting for me to make a move. I think it knows I'm going to go home, but I have no choice but to try. But I'm going to make sure I'm prepared. I'm going to outsmart it. I have to, because I'm on my own. Wherever Heath is, he's not responding to my emails. That has me more worried than anything else I've seen. I'll keep my moves to myself until I get a chance to write again. Until I know what the thing pursuing me is, I can't risk it knowing what I have planned. At first, I didn't even realize that he was a human being. He sat motionless on a street-side bench. The tint of his skin and the dirtiness of his clothes nearly perfectly matched the weathered oak slats beneath and behind him. If anything, traces of white in his hair might have given him away sooner had I been more observant. After some time spent walking down the quiet suburban street under the feeble warmth of the clouded afternoon sun, a slight fluttering of clothed edges in the wind made him suddenly appear in my vision. I froze. I'd investigated the most obvious questions, of course. Found nothing. The internet had held no traces of what had happened. At the same time, any newspapers I came across were at least a few weeks old, and none mentioned anything related to the world's vast emptiness. Other people were the only source I had left for the truth. And, as much as I felt vaguely perused by some lurking threats, I hadn't seen another living soul since the power plant. 
I darted back around a corner to avoid being seen and then stared past the edge while I studied him. The man was one of the very few people remaining and he was alone. I needed a plan. I had a suspicion from what the power plant manager had said that nobody was going to talk to me directly about what had happened. They'd seemed disturbed that I'd ask and some had even seemed afraid. Don't ask stupid questions but why were the questions taboo? I needed a plan. Alright, what did I have? I looked around. Low on fuel, I left my car a few blocks away and proceeded on foot to find a gas station. GPS still worked, and the maps on my phone still helped, but I had to be certain before I chose a station to drive toward with my last remaining fuel. No more gas... No more car. I knew I could resort to stealing gas from the cars littered all over the suburbs, but I wasn't exactly sure how to do that, and I didn't want to go through all that trouble if I could avoid it. Was there a guide for stealing gas somewhere online? I resolved to look it up later. I was more than thankful for those inexplicable men and women keeping the infrastructure running. How inept would I be without the internet? A chill sogginess hung over the road. Several shops and fast food places formed low canyoned walls on either side of an empty concrete river. A few side streets jutted off in either direction. What can I use here? My eyes fell on a gas station I'd already checked. The pumps hadn't been working, but the station itself had been stocked. I darted down the sidewalk. One of the glass doors sat unlocked, and I swung it open with mild surprise. I generally found very few locked doors. If anyone had disappeared, had it happened suddenly? None of the details were adding up. An odd smell permeated the interior, like something small and edible molding over in a corner, but the place remained that odd mix of organized and cluttered that could only be found in a convenience store. The shelves hadn't been looted, as far as I could tell, and the refrigerators were still on. I left the price of my items in cash on the counter. A few minutes later, I returned to where I'd seen the lone man, this time with beers, five in my backpack and one in my hand. He still sat motionless on that brown street-side bench, and I approached him with a tail in mind. As I got closer, I noticed that his extremely dirt-splattered clothes had once been a uniform of sorts. I also noticed that he wasn't moving at all. Was this the first dead body I'd come across? Eyes wide, I reached over an unkempt grass and picked up a small stick. He jumped at the prodding and I leapt back. Coughing lightly, he blinked weary and looked around in a wide circle before setting his sights on me. Oh. He sat up a little straighter. I was, uh, just taking a nap. I sheepishly put down the stick, carefully holding my beer bottle up to keep from spilling any. Got an extra one of those? He asked, his weather eyes lighting up with a strained eagerness. Wife never let me drink. Yeah, sure, I told him, sliding my backpack down to the sidewalk and pulling out another beer. Blue moon, all right? 
He laughed briefly, took the offered drink, and spun the top off. <laughs> you got any oranges in there? No, sorry. Oh, well, he smiled. I'm Roger. He lifted the bottle high and took three large gulps. I watched quietly until he lowered it. After waiting for his long, satisfied side end, I asked, Roger, how are things around here? You're not from Columbus, he asked. Pittsburgh, I told him, carefully emulating subtle signs of exhaustion. I walked west, looking for work. He groaned sympathetically. He used to be a lawyer. Turning his head, he threw a nod toward a massive white truck parked just out a distant corner. Slashes of rust were visible on various edges, and splatters of dirt were prominent along the bottom. Now I'm a garbage man. How about that luck? The garbage man? That meant more than just electricity and the internet were being maintained, and this man had to know where more people lived. Yeah, things didn't go too well for me either. A single laugh followed that. Hey, at least we're better off than the hunted. I tried not to stare at the capital H in the word he had used. What did that mean? Was it a clue? Had someone been hunted, or were they still being hunted now? I shivered at the thought of the ineffable presence that seemed to have trailed me from the Appalachian Mountains. Or, no, it hadn't been in the mountains. Not at all. I'd been free, clear, and alone up until the moment I'd reached my car. What had I felt then? A return to machinery? A human intellect? A return to civilization? A spark began building in my thoughts. Something vital, energetic, important. A connection. But to put it into words, to make it solid, I... He took another swig, then narrowed his eyes. I didn't think there was anybody left in Pittsburgh. How long have you been in Columbus? I feel like you should have run into somebody by now. Uh, just got in. Thrust back into the conversation, I gave a sheepish smile. Tried to hag it back home, but it was too lonely. That's what, a four-hour drive through mostly empty country? He asked, brow furrowed. Long walk without food and shelter. I nodded. Grabbed what I could. Food, beer, and such. Headed on out. Who's in charge here? I asked, trying to change the topic away from logistics. Who do I talk to about a job? Well, he began, thinking. If you ride my route with me, I can take you later, and... His words slowed to a stop after another sip of his beer. He looked down at the bottle and then up at me. I realized the error the same time that he did. I'd bungled my claimed timeline with the simplest detail. I couldn't possibly have just arrived here. The beer was cold. I'd taken it out of the refrigerator purely by habit instead of using one of the warm cases stacked near the shelves. After his realization, I expected suspicion. I expected narrow eyes, a subtle game of questions. 
Instead, he widened his eyes full of alarm and then began fumbling with something in his pocket. I picked up my backpack and began running the moment I saw it. He obviously wasn't very good with it, or I might have not gotten away, but I did look back once to see him trying to aim the gun at me with his shaking hands. He shouted something terrified and angry as I made it around the corner. Heart pounding, it took only a few seconds to breathe, and then I kept moving. I couldn't take the chance that he might get his garbage truck and chase after me. As I ran, I tried to understand what had I done that had been worth pulling a gun. Jesus Christ. I guessed that nobody would talk to me about what had happened, but I hadn't guessed at how terrified and defensive they might be, even at basic attempts to get information. I kept running through the chilly gray afternoon until I found the last turn back to the road upon which I'd tucked away my car. Heart pounding, breath ragged, I came around the corner and immediately saw the spot where I'd parked it. A spot which was now just a gap between other parked cars. After a brief moment of confusion in which I wondered if I had the right street, I realized that my car was gone. Ducking back behind some hedges so fast that I almost tripped, I'd study the street. My heart still thumped in my chest and my pulse still raced, but I did my best to stay absolutely silent. Two-story houses and thickening lawns flanked the road, and regularly sent towering trees shrouded the area in icily breezy gloom. I shook against the exertion, still coursing through me, but I kept quiet and watched. Pushed forth by the wind, a colorful plastic tricycle rolled down a distant driveway. An American flag whipped idly up and down, unbothered by the cold. This was suburban life, just without the living. And I found myself once more overwhelmed by how empty, boring, and normal this all felt. There were no bodies, no bloodstains, and no sense of tragedy. It was just a street. A street in which I had thought nobody would ever see or notice my car. I saw nothing to hint at what had happened to it. How long had I been gone? An hour? Two? Had another wanderer somehow happened across my vehicle and... What, hotwired it? It seemed exceedingly unlikely that somebody had just happened across this street and decided to steal my car as opposed to the thousands of ownerless vehicles parked all around the city. I felt in my pockets, confirming I still had the keys. That definitely wasn't it. Or was it something else? I whirled around and fell roughly on my ass, my eyes scanning the nearly identical suburban street behind me. I saw nothing but chill gray filtering down between the trees and uncomfortably cold breezes sifting through hedges and bushes. The frigid lawn beneath me ran an unhealthy brown and green. Grass was only slowly coming back to life after a long winter. That odd sense of being pursued surged within me, and it became immediately obvious that the theft of my car had been no accident. Whatever it was, it was here, and it was just scrambling around in a suburban yard like a crazy fool. 
Running between the houses, backpack straps held tightly to keep my bouncing belongings from making noise, I entered a long valley of backyards that seemed its own half-mile-long world. On one side, houses, on the other, trees, and in between, strewn toys, a soccer ball, and a picnic table or two, all part of a miniature vista of discarded home life stretching out before me like a dusky cave with a roof of ominous gray-dark clouds. One of these goddamn doors had to be... The third one I tried swung open into gloom. I hesitated only for a split second and then became propelled forward by the feeling of some approaching titanic and horrible awareness rounding a nearby corner into the soon-to-be-defiled sanctity of my little backyard valley. I dared not to breathe. Instead, I turned around as swiftly and as silently as I could and eased the house's back door closed. The door itself was still mostly glass and I was nowhere near safe. Creeping further into the kitchen's shady gloom, I half-crawled behind the island that dominated the middle of the slippery white-tiled floor. I hadn't had time to absorb any other details about the space. All I knew was that the cabinets and countertops converged to hide a very small area from prying eyes that might be looking in the windows at that very moment. I hadn't yet seen any destruction, no broken windows, no busted doors. Would human constructions protect me? My back to dark cherry oak woodwork, my pack clutched close, I forced myself to let air flow in and out between my lips at an agonizingly slow pace. My hammering chest and burning lungs demanded more breath, but I couldn't. The light snap of a branch echoed feebly from outside. Was it my unseen pursuer? The door handle rattled. Adrenaline and alarm shot through me like lightning. Had I locked it? Had I thought to lock it? I could almost see the attention sweeping across the kitchen like unseen beams of malice-filled light. It scanned every visible corner, narrowly missing my hiding spot, and I stopped what little breathing I had still been managing, keeping completely still till the throbbing in my head threatened to knock me unconscious. My ears absorbed the barest sound of a handle rattling on the house next door. I almost let out an explosive breath until the thought occurred to me, I had no idea what was hunting me. What if there was more than one of them? What if one was still standing behind my back door and the distant entry attempt I'd heard was a ruse? Holding my own mouth shut forcefully with one desperate hand I remained in place, my vision slowly narrowing as each heartbeat brought me deeper toward darkness. And still... I couldn't bring myself to breathe. How could I be sure? At exactly that moment, the patter of rain began tapping against the windows. Did I use that? 
If the rain surged, could I... My body betrayed me. I let out an explosive gasp for air. And at exactly that moment, a loud crack rang out from somewhere beyond the windows. Loud scrambling echoed on the patio just outside the door I'd entered. And something gracelessly crashed away. A very human shout echoed from somewhere distant. Jumping to my feet, I took another deep breath, exhilarated by the return of life and chance, and I ran for the door. Spilling through, I saw a wide-eyed and brown-dressed man standing one yard distant under the darkening evening sky. In his hand, he gripped his gun, holding it awkwardly forward. It had been his shot that had driven off. Whatever had been outside... Roger! I shouted, incredibly relieved. Clearly something had changed. It was humanity against the darkness, right? Thank you! His eyes widened into even larger white circles, a terrified contrast to the oncoming twilight. What the ever-loving hell? His gun swept toward me. Christ! I shouted at him, charging back into the house. After everything I'd been through in my life, was I really going to finally get taken down by some scared old man with a revolver? Who the hell just carried a gun around like that? As I crashed through the house, accidentally knocking over family pictures and portraits of children hanging on the walls, I realized, if you were one of only a very few people left in the world, and there were otherworldly threats lurking, of course you would carry a gun. He was just a scared old man, and to him, I looked disheveled, homeless, and I'd proven myself to be a liar. Two, if he followed me, he might have seen me running and hiding and rolling out on lawns like a madman. He had no way of knowing I'd been tipped off by the disappearance of my car. He was just a scared old man. But he had a gun, and for as few times as I'd actually seen one in my life, let alone seen one fired, guns were undeniably real and deadly. I curved around the last bit of hallway and reached the front of the house. I almost opened the front door and bolted outside. I almost did it. It was only as I had my hand on the knob that I realized this heavy wooden door had no windows alongside it couldn't see outside, and if I was hunting someone and the situation out back had just happened, I would wait out front for my prey to cut through the house. It was fear, really, and nothing more. I'd been guided by my honed awareness for fear most of my life, and it had saved me countless times. Whatever was hunting me was perfect. It had made no noise, given no solid indication that it existed, and shown no cards. I had no idea what it might be, what it might want, or what it was capable of. Except, I did have one thing. The fact that millions of people had disappeared during my month in the mountains, and now those who remained were absolutely terrified to talk about it. The only edge I had was my fear. 
others might have panicked, where others might have been blithely unaware of pursuit, where others might have made a mistake, I was determined to survive at all costs. I took the last few steps up to the second floor with the same silent focus that I'd used the entire backwards path away from the door. I refused to let my eyes off that closed wooden portal. As long as it stayed closed, as long as I could make my way down the upstairs hallway and into a hiding spot, my pursuer would have to assume I'd chosen another escape route. As I stepped carefully backward, the gears in my mind spinning, I'd swiftly hung up and reset the pictures I'd knocked over. As far as it might see if it came in, I'd never entered the house. Step back. Breathe ever so quietly. Step back. Finally make it round the corner. The front door clicked softly opened just after the hallway below disappeared from view. The people that had lived here had left everything unlocked. I'd been right to assume that nothing was going to go in my favor without me making it so. A creak sounded from downstairs. I couldn't stay in the hallway like this, as much as I wanted to remain motionless. Stepping carefully, pack still held in a death grip, I backed smoothly and inaudibly into what I guessed from the layout of the house was the master bedroom. Where I'd stepped soundlessly on the stairs, my pursuer failed once, eliciting a subtle noise of stretching wood that would barely be audible beneath the pattering and surging rain outside. I stood in place in the thick gloom and listened intently. Was my pursuer heavier than me? Was it even human? Even at this distance, it smelled horrible, cloying-like. I turned my head, but not my body, to examine the room for options. Oh. Stealing myself for what I had to do, I eked a window open, studying the rooftop below that might let a person clamber down and leap to the ground. Slick rain coursed over every surface. I made my move and then lay quietly. What capabilities did my pursuer have? If it had a heightened sense of smell, my hiding spot would take care of that. In case it had sharp hearing, I kept my breath held, my body still, ready and willing to go back into that well of unconsciousness rather than die. Astute eyes would not be a factor with broken line of sight and my hiding spot already in a shape that might obscure my presence. If it were telepathic, or had other senses, well, there was nothing I could do about that. It came near, utterly near, and I thought I heard a slight, moist, organic sound. I felt the shift as weight moved along the master bedroom floor. Was it checking under the bed? No, it was at the window. After a silent, intense moment in which everything held frozen, startling loud motion and creaking erupted, and I listened to it to rush back out, down the hall, along the stairs, and out through the front door. 
It was only then, deep in a swirling pit of shrunken senses, that I finally began breathing again. I gasped and choked on that fetid air and clambered desperately out from between the two soggy, maggot-infested and flied-covered corpses on the bed. Drenched in black, rotting gore and various unidentifiable green and yellow-red slimes, I fell to the floor, letting my body force up the scant food I'd eaten earlier. Rubbing against the white carpet in desperation, I tried to get some of the corpse rot off my bare skin. They'd committed suicide, together, in that bed. The entire thing had been stained in the disgusting colors of life and death. There'd been just enough room between to hide under the sticky sheets and blanket. My hunter had either overestimated me in thinking that I could have silently climbed long and down and rain-slick roof or underestimated me in thinking that I would never climb between the embrace of two rotting suicide-slain lovers. I'm not invincible. I did break down. Finally, at that moment, on the white carpeted floor, now smeared wildly with grisly juices and goblets of flesh from my tearful crawl, I just wanted someone to talk to. Someone, anyone at all. What was the point of surviving if it required such ghastly and desperate acts? And if there was nobody to go home to? It was then I knew that I had to get home. I'd been avoiding going straight there. It was too easy, too obvious. My pursuer would know what I was trying to do. That much I felt. I'd never met it, but the pursuit was hungry and personal. It'd risk another encounter with Roger and his scared trigger finger to stick around and chase me. Chris. Caitlin. Where are you? Heath. Why aren't you responding? And it's only now, while I sit in a hole-in-the-wall bar whose Wi-Fi password I remembered from long ago, that something occurs to me. A man and a woman had killed themselves together in the master bedroom of that house. But I'd seen pictures, even knocked those pictures down. Shots of kids, of children, happy and smiling. There had been no other bodies in that house. Was that a clue? I had no way of knowing. Not yet. I had to keep it in mind. In my life now, sitting in a hole-in-the-wall bar from my early twenties alone, eating stale cornbread with hands, I can't quite seem to get clean. I'm not afraid the smell of my horrendous hiding spot might never go away. No, I'm afraid I might get used to it. The world has changed, and the change happened without me. Why am I here? What am I doing? A relentless voice in the back of my head urges me on, even now. I live for the fear, and for the mystery I always have. I have to know. I have to go home. I have to figure this out. I don't even think I can save anyone. I don't even hope that there's anything left for me but empty streets. Even though no one's around, I'm well aware that I'm unshaven, dirty, reeking to high heaven, and acting like a madman. 
but it doesn't matter. What point does life hold if there's nobody around to share it with? There's only one drive. I just... I have to know. And when the sun rolls back around the earth and dispels the empty and quiet night again, I'll make my play for home and hopefully have shot at finding more clues. I picked a serviceable watch from the display and then reached for my wallet. I counted the cash, but then... What did it matter? I put the money back in my wallet and departed, too tired from walking to feel bad about technically stealing a watch from an empty store. And two, my thoughts were elsewhere. It was just past noon by the time I arrived at the general area of my apartment. Still four blocks away, I stayed in the noisy shade near a billowing evergreen tree, and I watched the one highest monument on the near horizon, a church bell tower. I was honestly surprised that it wasn't ringing by itself in the intensely surging afternoon winds. Just above the pinnacle of the bell tower, the sky hung black and glowing, threatening a tremendous storm at any moment. I thought the sky caved, ceiling the day before. That effect had become even more pronounced. Even though I was standing out in the streaming winds and watching the distance, I still felt a little claustrophobic. The bell tower was the perfect vantage point for this neighborhood. From it, I'd be able to see my apartment and everything surrounding it. And I knew what I had to do. The church itself, like many other buildings around, had been left unlocked. The enormously thick wooden doors vibrated slightly with the gusting winds, but they did not open until I pulled in directly with much of my strength. The environs inside were startlingly normal. If someone had been hanging out in there, they might have never guessed the rest of the world had vanished. It was just somebody's neighborhood church. Velvet-lined pews faced a quiet and shaded altar, all crowned by lovingly hand-painted parables on the arcing ceilings high above. I sensed a few traces of faded despair and residual pain, but that was all drowned out by an almost glowing sense of peace and devotion. Devotion, above all, to the belief that everything was going to be alright. I suppose that made sense. Although it was rather startling how clear those sensations felt, they were practically a scent in the air, or a kind of almost visible spectral light. Were emotional residues more obvious now that the chaotic ocean of daily human feelings had gone? I wondered if the traditional belief might hold some weight. Could the hope and faith people imbued in places like this actually have the power to repel evil? I'd have to bet the negative on that one. Moving through the side halls, I found a set of winding stairs. Numerous signs warned me not to ascend unless I was staff only. Staff. Curious words for those who worked at a church. Made it almost sound like a business. To call the tight staircase rickety would have been soaring praise. I stepped carefully on each creaking piece of wood and the spiraling walls came so close that both my shoulders began 
brushing against their narrowing surfaces. After adjusting my backpack to fit, I actually considered turning back lest I get stuck like I was in some sort of tightening cave passage, but the final door soon appeared around the corner. Locked? No. That was a relief. I didn't want to waste needless time, and I did not relish in the thought of searching through some priest's office for keys. Pushing through that door was like splashing into a busy stream. Violent winds surged through the small square space at a near constant rate. Three of the walls sat open to the air with the high handrails as the only barrier to the void beyond. From here, I could see a vast sea of bare trees swaying with the oncoming storm. I turned back to my task. And there sat the bell. It was smaller than I'd expected. A rope trembled rapidly in the wind before me. I studied the places where it had been tied. I then carefully undid the knots and moved them to a new spot. This was the best vantage point, most definitely, and therefore the most dangerous place to be. My pursuit seemed very personal, somehow, and I had no doubt my hunter would know I was going to try and get home to find some answers. My hunter also knew that I was no fool, therefore it knew I would try to scout the area before I made my play. Slipping back down the stairs, I left the church just as I had found it, calm and quiet. Pushing out through the heavy doors, I re-entered the growing winds with a sense that time was growing short. I held my backpack in place and ran for the trees, breathing hard from both Exertion and sudden fear, I found a place to hide among thick bushes and evergreen trees, roughly one block from my apartment. Crouched just between two brown bricked buildings, I could see the front door from here, along with either direction up and down the street. I waited, heart pounding. The wind's illusion of busyness faded as I remained still and grew accustomed to the patterns in that swaying motion. The trees wavered, the bushes wobbled, the grass ran with waves of rolling air, but nothing moved. This street, like so many others, was dead and empty. A chilly and humid slice came in along the storm winds and I shuddered. For a time, I thought I was being overly cautious, paranoid even, to assume that my hunter somehow knew me or where I was headed. I waited the risk of entering my apartment blindly. A single, extulent peal ripped out across the black clouds above. The bell. The hunter was here, but also firmly located blocks away. Burning with sudden adrenaline, I bolted from my hiding spot and ran straight for my apartment door. My pursuer would realize what I'd done almost immediately. I tied the rope to the door itself and then carefully positioned everything so that someone entering without knowledge of the trap would ring the bell at least once. It would know what I'd done, and it would know where I was in turn. That meant I didn't have much time. I started the timer on my watch, and it began counting down the estimate I'd made. 
I crashed through the living room, stomped up the stairs, and kicked my way into my own room. My stuff... My stuff had been moved. Nothing lay where I remember it. Somebody had been to my room in particular, and my computer was on. I entered my password to log on. It didn't work. Well, it had been a while. Frowning, I tried another password I commonly use. And it worked. I went through my files quickly, noticing that things had been moved and files had been accessed during the last month when I'd been gone. Who the hell had been here? What they'd been looking for? Confusion rising, I tried to make sense of it. I'd been assuming that I was being perused in possibly the same manner as all the people that had disappeared, but what if it was just me? I looked down at my backpack, slung briefly on the floor next to me. What if it was for the contents of my pack? I'd spent a month in the goddamn woods for... My watch began beeping, pulse racing. I silenced it quickly and grabbed all the nearby papers I could, and my laptop. Yes, I stuffed it into the top of my pack and darted down the stairs, heading for the front door. I'd get out of the front purposely, assuming my hunter would shoot for the back to head off the route it expected me to use. But what if it had guessed that too? I didn't have time to react. I pushed through my front door and into the waiting, grasping hands. I fought viciously for a moment, but a few shouts brought me down. Hey, stop! Looking around in agitated confusion, I found myself surrounded by at least half a dozen men. The one that had grabbed me let go, but did not back off very far. His imposing expression and harsh features were betrayed by his casual tone. This the guy, Roger? Behind him, the older man nodded. That's him. A particularly strong gust of wind nearly straightened the shoulder-length brown hair of the man who seemed to be in charge of his little posse. He tilted his head back toward two pickup trucks, one black, one red. Both looked well-worn. You're coming with us. I looked at my building for a brief moment, considering another attempt to run. My pursuer would just now be reaching the backyard. All right. He grabbed my arm with surprising strength and pulled me along as the men scattered toward the two trucks. I couldn't help but notice they didn't have guns. Well, at least not out in plain sight. Their leader, my temporary captor, spoke just loud enough for me to hear him over the whipping wind. Don't ask stupid questions. Don't ask stupid questions. I was word for word with the other guy. He lightly shoved me into the back of the lead pickup truck and climbed in alongside me. Two other men followed. Roger and an older Chinese man that didn't look too tough or brutish. These people didn't seem like thugs at all. They weren't trying to intimidate me as far as I could tell. Trucks began moving. Check his stuff, the long-haired leader ordered. He looked me in the eyes, evaluating my every subtle reaction. Keeping his eyes on me, he lifted a radio from his belt for a brief message. We found Roger's ghost. Yeah, he's real. Dirty as hell, too. 
Looks like he's been through some shit. Checking him out on the way. Hart nodded. I let them take my backpack and cell phone. I still had a few moments to think of something. I couldn't let them see what was in the bottom of that pack, but my computer was near the top, and it would certainly warrant investigation first. The older Chinese man rooted through my papers. What's Glorwalk? he asked, leafing through some of them. I'd never heard of it. Had it been something the person invading my space had left behind? Maybe it was a clue. I shook my head and frowned. I don't know. How do you pronounce it? He gave me an odd look, but after a moment shrugged off my refusal to answer. And then pulled out my laptop, just as I'd expected. What's the password? I grimaced, trying to look annoyed. If I could start a minor argument, I could buy some time to think. I'm not going to give you my password. I'm Jay, their leader interrupted, still watching my face for some unknown cues. I was a plumber. Still am. Nice to meet you. What were you... I held out my hand instinctively, but said nothing. Jay looked down, his eyes unreadable even as his hair leapt back and forth around his face. Slowly, he reached out his hand and shook mine. That ritual done, he looked back at his two men for some reason, then back to me. Give us your password. We're not going to do anything with it, we just need to see. I believed them. I did, it was just... Roger sat straighter and made a little noise of alarm. Jay, the phone. He handed it over. I frowned. What could he have possibly found on it? Jay studied the phone for a second, then glared up at me. What the hell is this? What is what? I asked, genuinely confused. Had Roger planted something on my phone to get me in trouble? A radio at his belt crackled to life without warning. Jay, we got somebody over here that claims to know your guy. Clutching my phone, he reached down with the other hand to answer. Hope surged in my chest. It was about time I got a break. Was it someone I knew? Was it Chris? Had he survived whatever had happened and been on the lookout for me? Lord, if they looked deeper into that pack. The trucks turned a corner, and a long, low whine began reaching my ears. Gradually, both vehicles came to a stop. The man in the truck bed with me froze and slowly stood. The man in the cabin of the red truck, just behind ours, froze and began looking out their windows. The man in that truck's bed slowly stood, their fearful gazes sweeping the area. As the sound intensified, I recognized its implicity. A tornado siren. Its long crescendo peaked, remained steady, and whined for several long seconds before anyone reacted. The sound filled me with intense fear. Not in the least because my favorite horror movies and games had used that very noise to signal the approach of very bad things. But even without a supernatural component, a tornado siren still meant very bad things for people caught out in the open. With the trucks motionless... I could feel that the wind had picked up to rather incredible strength. It still hadn't started raining. God almighty, Roger mouthed, his grip on the truck's edge white-knuckled. 
Let's go. Jay shouted, his radio forgotten. He pocketed my cell phone and slammed his hands on the roof of the driver's cabin. Go! They didn't need to be told twice, except they didn't start driving. They opened their doors and climbed down to the street. The men in the other truck saw and began following suit. Wordlessly but clumsily, as if they'd practiced it but never done it before, they pulled heavy wooden boxes down from the truck's beds and began handing out the contents. Jay took a moment to shove my pack into my hands and then gave me one of the bundles that the other men were receiving. You haven't earned any trust yet, but I guess it doesn't really matter anymore. A subtle grief and fear passed over his rough features. He looked up at the boiling black sky. Oh, we had more time. I frowned. It sounded like he meant more by that statement than just a race against the storm. Sliding my pack on, I freed my hands to investigate the bundle I'd been given. A variety of objects had been gathered together inside. Objects both common and weird. Most notably, I lifted a wooden knife from the pile. The men around me were stuffing everything they could into pockets and packs and everything else they had available. I followed suit and slid the knife under my belt. It didn't seem like it could really hurt anyone, but they'd passed these collections out for some reason. Let's go, Jay shouted again, and an abrupt motion took over the group as each man noticed and began running after the others. I followed him back, wondering why the hell we'd abandoned the trucks to proceed on foot. I could have slipped away, I knew, but intuition kept me near the only other human beings in this city as they ran from dangers unknown. I had no idea where we were headed. All I could do was follow the men down a one identical suburban street after another. And they, in turn, could only follow Jay as he kept up an unrelenting pace. Many of my muscles began straining with little bits of fire as we ran, but the fear was strong enough to ensure I would run to my very collapse if so needed. I felt it before I saw it. A slight purple glint came under my focus. I'd already been looking right at it, even before it had appeared. It was maybe a block ahead, right at the corner of someone's expansive lawn. Someone shouted over the roaring winds, and the others noticed it too. Jay turned our angle suddenly and headed for it. We clustered around it in awe. It's actually happening. One man commented, his eyes wide. Roger shook his head and frowned with pained fear. Jay began rooting through his own pockets. Maybe five feet above the ground, it floated and glimmered quietly. A jagged little glowing purple line. A rip. And nothing. As we watched, it began to grow thicker. The purple glow intensified, as if welling out from something deep inside. Reaching out, Jay began tying something dark and thick around it. Once, twice, three times. Come on, guys. He said, his eyes on the task, his tone determined. We can handle this. We... The jittering pulse in that purple slash popped its restraints right off. He took a breath. Okay. That didn't work at all. Even as we stood there, another glimmer of purple appeared down the street. He shook his head in three exaggerated motions, the gears in his thoughts visibly turning. At long last, he winced. 
Let's just run. There's nothing we can do. He took off again and we followed in two haggard lines. For a time there was only huffing, running, and the wind at my back, but I'd gotten strong enough that it was actually making the run easier, and it blinked out all sound except for an ongoing roar. For that reason, the lack of sound, it took the group nearly two minutes to notice. I couldn't make sense of the feeling at first. It was the usual twinge, a plucking on the strings of my fear, but it was coming from above. The black rolling sky hid them until they were dangerously low. I stared up and slowed. Little flashes of light. Ethereal. A brief instance of white. But no, not white. By the time the entire scattered group had slowed to a standstill, the silvery strands were drifting down all around us. Strands that were eerily unaffected by the raging winds. Jay thought for a moment and then shouted something at us in alarm. We couldn't hear him. Realizing the problem, he grabbed his wooden knife and lifted it up for everyone to see. Not sure what the hell I was supposed to do with it, I grabbed mine too and held it ready as long, silky strands of silver began gently piling around us. Our determined leader pointed at a nearby house, but there was no time. First of us touched a slowly falling strand by accidentally backing into it. In a flash, it whipped taut and Christ wrapped around his neck, writhing like a living and wickedly dead snake coiling around its victim. In shock, the middle-aged and slightly chubby man dropped his wooden knife. Jay leapt up and slashed the strand just before it managed to lift up viciously. The rescued man fell to his feet, grabbed for his knife, and immediately ran afoul of another filament which wrapped savagely around his arm and began coiling up toward his neck again. This time there was nobody to save him. A pale fiber pulled Jay back by the leg, and the entire group began flailing against sudden gripping strands. Intensely focused, I moved only forward so that I would avoid backing into any of the deadly filaments. I stared up at an angle, not daring to blink, staying motionless until I judged a single step safe. Step. 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 Screams echoed on the wind. Step. I looked away for an instant to judge my distance at the front door of the house Jay had indicated. Force whipped up my torso and around my neck like suddenly applied leash. Instinctively, I gripped the strand with my left hand and found it impossibly smooth and cold. That grip was probably the only thing that kept my neck from breaking as I was jerked forward and up with brutal force. In shock, nearly to the point of being unable to think, I slashed with the knife in my right hand with nothing but animal fury. I didn't really have a chance to think about where I was, at least not until the choking grip released and I found myself on the downward slope of a roller coaster without a car. The impact came as a massive crack against my entire left half. Gasping, I rolled to the side in abject pain and fell again. My numb left arm caught in something weak and metal that was already giving way. Even as I tried to catch my breath and stop my awareness from spinning, the metal gutter traveled a long arc through space. 
I smacked to the ground proper, tears flung from my face by sheer force. Somehow I still had my wooden knife, and I slashed at another sudden grip on my numb left leg, and then I took the knife into my burning left hand, used it to slash at the new leash on my right arm. Hold it, goddammit! Someone shouted. They're gone! They're gone! Forcing my eyes to focus through the panic, I realized that the last grip had been the hand of an older man. He'd only just barely avoided my slash. Shivering as he pulled me up, I managed to breathe. Sorry. He glared, but seemed to understand. Around me, many men were looking up. I joined them, watching two bodies soar up into the black tumult along a cloud of silver strands. No time, Jay panted, nursing a deep red wound on his neck. Move. Keep moving. Nobody had any words or breath left to respond. Instead, tired and desperate men helped each other to their feet, and we began stumbling forward. The first drops of icy rain started pummeling us as we started passing a still-frozen lake at the edge of the suburb we'd been cutting through. Roger was the first one to see her. There's somebody out there! The thin, older man who'd been helping me along turned his head. Is that a girl? she trying to cut across the lake? Someone asked, confused. We gotta send somebody out there to get her, Jay thought aloud. We can't leave anyone behind. I stared, my soul jumping with repeated surges of invisible electricity. Overwhelmed, I decided to sneak up despite not knowing whether these men were friend or foe. They were still human, right? I couldn't let them go out there. I knew exactly what that was. My whispered words seemed to cut through the wind in panic and slice directly into their awareness. Jay, there's nobody alive on that lake. Fifteen feet away, he turned his head slowly to stare at me. I could almost see the conflict between the normal guy that worked most of his life as a plumber and the man he needed to be now. In that moment, I was certain he was someone to be trusted, and yet... He seemed more frightened to his core by me and what I'd said than by the purple cracks still opening up all around or the silver strands from on high. I watched him gulp down a choking knot in his throat. He continued to stare at me as he spoke. Is the girl moving at all? I kept his gaze. In the corner of my vision... Roger shook his head slowly. Actually, I don't think so. She's just standing there. He jumped. No, wait, she's waving. She's waving us over. It does look like she needs help. Jay trembled subtly. You don't want to be a part of that story, I told him, dead serious took in a deep breath. We have to go. What? Another man asked. We gotta help her. No, 
he said flatly, his own order, ashes on his lips. That girl is already dead. Don't look at her. We're leaving. They did look back, of course, but something about their otherwise stalwart leaders, despairing demeanor, kept them from arguing any further. He looked back at me with suspicion, but said nothing. Something enormous crashed through the backyards to our right, shaking the row of houses directly. As a group, we veered to our left and ran through the backyard groves to stay out of sight. A cloud of yellow and cyan gas rolled through the woods around us. It seemed to chase us and cling to us in hungry earnest, but instructions were passed around to eat the foul-tasting pink bubblegum-like substance from our bundle. I popped it into my mouth and nearly threw up, but... The disturbing cloud of gas reeled away from us as if struck by a physical blow. As fast as it had come, it darted off into the trees. We emerged from the trees at that exact instant. The pattering rain broke into a blasting torrent. As water continually surged against my face, I held my arms up and struggled to see. Something was on fire ahead and to our left, a massive green flame that seemed unaffected by the rain. Stomping out the mud, the group headed to the right. At the end of my endurance, I slowed. Through the curtains of rain, I sighted what must have been their center of operations. In that case, I turned and ran a different direction, intent on hiding and scouting out what they were doing up by myself, without their control. I couldn't be sure what they'd meant to do with me, but I felt safer on my own. They had someone who claimed to know me. That was a lead, but what if it was my hunter or some other enemy? I couldn't let the contents of my backpack fall into the hands of anyone other than myself, and nobody in this damn city is willing to talk about where everyone has gone. I have to find out at any cost. So, I'm sitting in a basement waiting out the storm while everything goes to hell outside. For some reason, I'm not afraid. The terrors out there were all random. They're not specifically after me. It's the hunter that I have to fear. And those chaotic nightmares out there have stalled the hunt for the night. In a weird way, I feel safer, surrounded by untold horrors lurking just outside than I ever did alone in a city with other human beings. I wonder what the world will look like tomorrow.